talk of you about losing so that you can win. And you might say, that doesn't make sense. If I lose, I lose. If I win, I win. How can I lose so that I can win? And it's a paradox. And if you know the Christian life, if you've lived the Christian life, if you've read the scriptures, if you've heard what the scriptures say, you've experienced the Christian life in some way, you know that it's full of paradoxes. Maybe you've wrestled with them. Maybe you've struggled with them. But throughout the Christian life, there are paradoxes. We live by faith and not by sight. We are to keep our eyes on the invisible instead of the visible. If you want to be great, you have to become the least. We receive through giving. To be exalted, you need to be humble. You find freedom through serving. To become mature, you need to become childlike. The kingdom of God and the way in which it operates is completely opposite to the kingdom of the world and the way in which it functions. If you want to experience the most out of this Christian life, you have to embrace the paradoxes. And this morning I've got one particular paradox for you. One that calls us to lose so that we can win. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you come with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be reading verses 24 to 27. Matthew 16, 24 to 27. I'm not sure if it will come up on the screen here. Let me read. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. It's 16, 24 to 27. Is that right? You got it? Yeah? <laughs> I want to make sure I've got it right. <laughs> Verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Amen? Powerful passage of scripture. But do you see the paradox in there? If you hang on to your life, you lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you find it. This is what Jesus is saying, right? If you want to win in life, you're going to lose. But if you lose for me, you end up winning. And that's the paradox we're looking at this morning. Losing so we can win. So this morning, I have a desire. I have an intention. I have a goal. This morning, what I want to do is to encourage you to become big losers. With a capital L. But before you get depressed, remember that I'm calling you to be a loser so that you can truly win. Jesus says, if you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Or from my perspective, if you live for you, you lose. If you live for him, you win. We come up with a problem here immediately. 
and that is this. None of us want to lose. I mean, if we're going to be brutally honest, we all, we all want to win, right? We all want to win. We want to win in life. We want to finish on top. We want things to work out for us well, in our favour. We want to succeed. And we quote the winning scriptures. We are the head, but not the tail. We want to prosper as our soul prospers. He became poor that we could become rich. That has nothing to do with money, by the way, but we like that one anyway because it looks like winning. We all want to win. And, and I get that. I mean, how many of us have gone out to play a game and say, you know what, I, I hope I lose just so I get taught a lesson. I hope I get taken to pieces, you know, just so I learn something. When Amanda first come over and, you know, you're all lovey-dovey and spending all your time together, and one of the things we used to do was play cards. And obviously, you know, you're married, you're not going to play for money. I don't know if that would work well for your marriage, so we didn't play for money. So we played for chores. And, um, and we would sit there and we were playing for chores. And, and we played cards this one night, and Amanda won the first three games. And I thought, oh, okay, that's sweet, you know, extra mopping, a bit of hoovering. I'll get some brownie points, that's okay. We played 12 games, and she won all 12. Can I tell you that what I was experiencing after those 12 games was not humility, it was resentment. Because losing doesn't, doesn't humble you, it makes you try harder to win, or you don't want to play at all. We don't want to lose. We just want to win. That Jesus says, if you want to win, first you need to lose. And we're not talking about a game, are we? Here, what is he talking about? He's talking about our very lives. If we want to win, we've got to lose. The question we need to ask then is, what have we got to lose? That's the question we need to answer. If Jesus is saying to us, that we've got to lose. What is it he's asking us to lose? Jesus says, if you hang on to your life, you lose. If you give it up for me, you find it. What is Jesus asking us to give up? What is he asking us to lose? We find the answer in the meaning um, of the word life in this context. In this passage, the meaning of the word life is this. The word life here means your unique identity and your deepest affections. Your unique identity and your deepest affections. If you read down in verse 26, it says, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? It's, it's basically this, if I can summarise. If you find your identity and the, in the world and your deepest affections are placed in the things of this world, you will lose who you were created to be as a unique individual. You will void your life. You will void your life. Let me ask you some questions. What defines you as a person? Does your career define you as a person? Do your possessions define you as a person? Do your looks define you as a person? Does your bank account define you as a person? Where do you find your identity. What do you think about most? See, the scripture says where your heart is, that's where your thoughts will be. What gets most of your affection? Is it a sport, a hobby, music, TV? Is it an iPhone 6? What gets your affection? 
See, how many people have given their life in chasing, in pursuing the things of this world? For the fame, for the fortune, for the glory. And they end up losing themselves in the process. How did the devil tempt Jesus? Provisions, possessions, and the glory that the world has to offer. Weren't they the temptations he dealt with in the wilderness? The very things that the enemy wants us to go after. The same things he tempted Jesus with. Are we chasing certain things in the world to gain identity? Are our deepest affections here? It's just questions to put out there. Jesus says if we hang on to our lives, we lose it. But if we give up our lives for him, we find it. You know that word lose, it means perish. To lose it means it perishes. Jesus is saying this, don't cling tightly, don't hold on to the things of this world because none of it lasts forever. That's what Jesus is saying to us and he's talking to us here. If you read the beginning of the passage, he says he turns to his disciples, those that already believe in him, those that are already saved. He's talking to us. There's nothing wrong with having a good job. But does your job define who you are? You know, one day, you're not going to be able to do it. You hear about sports stars and, and they play their game and, and sometimes they get injured and they can't play anymore. And they end up going down a road of depression and, and drugs and they can en even end up committing suicide. I've seen it. You see it on the TV all the time. Because who they are is tied up in what they do. One day we're not going to be able to work anymore. Age can do it, for one. There are many things that can take us out of our career. It's okay to enjoy your possessions, but does what you own get all of your affection? I went to the Apple store in, in Kentucky, and it's huge. And I mean, I was, in, I was amazed. Hey, buddy. Um, I was amazed. And you know what? They, there was all these gadgets. They had the new iWatches. They had the new iPhones, the iMacs. And I thought, I want all of this. But you see people that go there and they have to have the latest thing constantly. It has to be the next thing out. I've got to be there queuing to get it first. Why? Because of their identity is tied up in what they own. Their identity is tied up in having these possessions. But you know what? These things don't last forever. They break. And then there'll be something else to go after and something else you have to chase. There's nothing wrong with having property. But does it consume you? Does what you own determine who you are. And we saw even last week, 22 warehouses just went up in smoke. Jesus said, didn't he, not two stones will be left on top of one another. And it's this, this picture that even property, even the grandest of buildings, anything, you can go, wow, this is amazing, even if it's yours. But he's saying it's going to perish. One day, it's not going to be there. It's okay to be wealthy, but does wealth determine your worth? You hear stories about people who chase money and, and they, they just all they want is cash and they get so resentful at the, the end of their lives that someone else is going to take their money that they give it all like to a cat's home or something. Have you seen those stories? You go, what are you doing? It's because of what they've pursued, where they found their identity, they want to keep that for themselves. And they're holding tightly to it. They're clinging on. It's okay to take care of the way you look. But does the way you look matter to you more than other things? You know, one day... Good looks, they deteriorate. I know that doesn't happen to you beautiful people, but it happens to the rest of us. I mean, there's only so much oil of Olay can do, isn't there? There's only so much, only so far it can go. 
things erode, things break, things get stolen. Everything in this world will perish. Jesus is not threatening you. Jesus is stating a fact. See, he's not saying if you live in the world and you put your affections here, I'm going to take it away from you. No, he is saying that it's going to be taken away from you anyway because it all perishes. He's offering us perspective. Don't put all your hope, all your desires, all your affections in the things of this world. They are fleeting. Don't hang on to it. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Don't live to preserve these things. Don't live to protect these things. Don't cling too tightly to your career. Don't uh, cling too tightly to your riches or your looks. These things, uh, you know what, if you own them, in a sense, they're going to start to own you. If they become everything for you, they will own you. Jesus is saying it's like slippery, holding slippery soap. It's always going to be getting away from you. You're never going to be able to hold on to it fully. So he says, don't cling to it at all. That's the words of Jesus. He tells us to give it all up, to lose our lives. Jesus doesn't want us to find our identity in the world. He tells us we have to give it up. The question we need to ask now, now we know what it is we have to get up, is how do we go about giving it up? Jesus tells us three things we have to do to lose so that we can win. They're all in Matthew, Matthew 16, 24, the first verse of that passage. It tells you three things Jesus tells us to do so that we lose, so we can win. This is what he says. Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. You guys know them ones well, right? Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me just take a little bit of time to open them up. The first one Jesus says is we have to turn from our selfish ways. Yours might say you might have to deny yourself. Mine says turn aside, put aside your selfish ambition. It's all the same thing. It's basically saying this, everything I want for me, I give it to you, God. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He says your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your goals, your desires, everything you want, you need to give it up. What do we pray more? God, I give you everything I want, or God, bless everything I want? What do we pray more? What do you want for you most? See, Jesus says, give your life up for me. If what we want, if what we desire has nothing to do with him and his kingdom, we are told to give it up. We are told to put it aside. I'll say something here. This can cause us to freak out. Because there might be some things in our lives that, we, that are so important to us, that we really want certain things to happen. You might say, you know what, I really want to get married, or I, I really want to start a family, or I really want this dream job, or I really want to live in this place, whatever it could be. But Jesus says we are to give it up. If we give it up to him... There's no guarantee that what we want will come back to us. There's no guarantee that he'll bless us in the way that we want to be blessed. And that's true. And that is true. But at this juncture, what you need to know is what God is like. See, if God's calling you to give everything up, you need to know what this God is like you're giving everything up to. Uh, I remember we went to Turkey, first mission trip 
I went on and uh, we flew BA, uh, not to slander them, but I'm going to. Um, but we turned up at the end. Does anyone work for BA? I'm sorry if they do. Oh, they do? All right, bless you, Sonia. <laughs> don't, don't cling too tightly to your career. Um, <laughs> uh, we went to... Uh, we went to check in, and so you take your suitcases and you, and you put it on the belt, and then off it goes, right? And you say, you know, I've entrusted you with my life here. I've entrusted you with all my possessions. And off you fly, we get to the other end, we get to Istanbul, and then when we get there, everyone's collecting their baggage, and I hear this message, Passenger Mia, say, sorry, sir, we've lost your bag. And they give me this bag. And so I open this bag, and in it, there's a plastic razor, a little tube of toothpaste, a toothbrush, a vest, and a pair of underpants this big. In fact, they were so big, me and Andy Radford, we got in one leg each just, and got a picture taken. And I'm like, you know what? I've entrusted you with my life. I've entrusted you with my possessions. I've entrusted you with everything I have, and you give me back pants. I wonder if one of the reasons we don't lay everything down to God, one of the reasons we don't give everything up is that we think we might get pants back. I'm so glad that Peter in the scriptures is so outspoken. Because he just blurts things out. Do you know what? He would always say what everyone else was thinking. He just had the guts to say it. And he says this very thing to Jesus, doesn't he? In Mark 10, 28, Peter spoke up and he said, we've given everything to follow you. And Jesus says, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now, here, in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property, along with persecution and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Jesus says, anyone who loses for me, wins. He says it's not going to be an easy ride. There's going to be persecution on the way. But do you think if you give everything to me, you're going to get pants back? God is not uncaring. God is not stingy. God knows you. He is your father and he loves you. Something really messed with my theology. Uh, when me and Amanda got married, we had to wait to, for her to come over with her visa. And uh, when she came over, we were like, what should we do? You know, do we want to stay at home uh, so we can save up some money, maybe do a honeymoon, all these things? And we're like, no, let's just get into a place so we can get settled. So we moved in, scrapped the honeymoon idea. And someone came to me and said, oh, are you guys going on a honeymoon? And we're like, no, we're going to just hold off that and just you know, get settled in. And someone said, no, no, you've got to go on a honeymoon. God's told us. And they paid for us to go to Crete. For a week. Now listen, this screwed me up. This screwed me up because I know a God who loves me and gives me what I need so that I can serve him. But I didn't know a God who likes me and knows my desires and would meet them just because he wants to. It messed with my theology. But this is who your father is. He doesn't just give me what I need. He, he doesn't just love me. He likes me. He goes way beyond my needs because I'm not a slave. I'm a son. Well, you're a daughter. And let me tell you, these things that come, these, maybe these things that we want, the, uh, the careers and all these things, it's okay to have them, but they're not life itself. These are fringe benefits to life. They're not life itself. Does it mean if I don't give everything up to God, he won't bless me? 
No, I'll tell you what it means. If you don't give everything up to him, you don't let him bless you. See, if you own, if you cling, if you hold tightly, God has no way in. God won't force you ever to lay anything down. I've explained to you, I think I've told you this before, but I made a real hash of dating before I met Amanda. I, I really did. And um, God spoke to me so clearly and said, you need to lay this down. You need to lay this desire down to, to get married and everything. And I'm like, I think I've got this one, Lord. And so I wouldn't lay it down and I picked it up and it was disastrous. I mean, I made so many mistakes. In fact, the last date I went on was at a museum where they had a death exhibition. And I finally got the message. I really did. I finally got the message to put it down. I laid it down and when I did, this one came along. <laughs> now, listen. <laughs> now, and then that one came along after. <laughs> um, now listen, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you lay it down, things work out exactly the way you want. It's not playing some reverse psychology with God. It's like, well, if I give you everything, then you're just going to give me everything back. No, no, no. That's what I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying if you, if you hold things loosely, things work out better for you. I went to Top Golf with Mark and Chris. And uh, it's a place, it's a driving range where you play golf. It's a lot of fun. Chris is really good. Uh, and me and Mark, well, they're not so good. Um, in, but the good thing is I'm better than Mark, so I beat him. So, uh, not that winning matters or anything, but I did beat you. Anyway, so, so Chris somehow is very relaxed, and he's hitting the ball, and it's just like, we can't even see it. And me and Mark are trying really hard, like, you know, we're, we're trying to slog this thing, and it's trickling along the ground, it's going left, it's going right, it's going anywhere apart from where we want it to go. The tighter you grip, the worse your shot. The lighter you hold things, the better things work out for you. That's what God is saying to us. The tighter the grip, the more difficult life becomes. Because you try and make things happen, you can become anxious about and consumed by stuff. Things can own you in the world. The lighter you hold things, the better the results. Is there anything we need to give up? First thing we need to do is put aside our selfish ambition. The next thing Jesus tells us to do is to shoulder your cross or to take up your cross. Have you seen the logical order here? First of all, you've got to put something down and then you pick something up. You can't do both at the same time. You can't hold the world and you can't hold the cross. You can't multitask here. You know, it's impossible for people to multitask. They've done a test. And they had someone who said, he had this massive company, um, he was a CEO, and they said, and he said, I can definitely multitask, I do 10 things at once. And they're like, no, 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 you can't. And so they sat him in a car with this obstacle course, and he had to drive by the same time, giving instructions to how to do uh, this test over the phone. And he crashed into everything. We can't multitask. We have to put something down before we pick something up. And also, if you've given something up, you have to pick something up in the replace of it. Have you ever uh, given up something like cake? Do you know what? If you don't replace it with something like running or jogging or, or walking, all you think about is what you've laid down. And so God, God knows that and he says, you know, if you've laid something down, now you need to pick something up. And he tells us what it is. He tells us to pick up our cross. And what this is, it's a position or a posture we have before God. It's a posture we have before God. We move from laying things down that we want to own to positioning ourselves before Jesus, asking him to own us. 
to have his way, to have his will, to have his plans, to have his desires, to have what he wants. We position ourselves for a change of ownership. By taking up our cross, it means you position yourselves to die. Those things that own us can lose their hold. And those things he wants us to have start to come into our lives. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you focus on your death. That's really morbid. And I'll tell you, the more that you try and die to yourself and try and kill yourself, the more you realise you're actually alive. I heard a story about a person who'd wake up every morning and just imagine they were in an electric chair. And they would sit there and go, I'm killing myself. I'm dying to myself. I'm dying. And they would go out, and when they'd have all desires in the world, they were like, oh, I've got to die more. But that doesn't work. It really doesn't work. We are to give our lives up for who? For Jesus. To take up our cross is to focus on Jesus, and it's an invitation for him to kill us. We take up our cross, let him do the killing. He's good at it. Doesn't it say the same thing in Romans 12? It says, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. So who does the killing? God does. You know, the devil wants to kill you, but Jesus does too. The devil wants to kill you to destroy you. Jesus wants to kill you that you can have a full life, that you can find life, that you can experience life. And we have to do this every day. It says in Luke that we are to take up our cross daily. Every day we have to take that position before Jesus. Jesus, you own me. Jesus, have your way. Kill those things that own me. And as it happens, as we focus on him, these things happen. We lay down our ambitions and we take up our cross. And then we're told to follow him. We place something to one side, we have picked something up, and now we start to move. Do you know the interesting thing about this word follow? If you look at the Strong's Concordance, do you know what the primary meaning is? It means to accompany. Of, of course, when you are translating follow makes sense, you know, we take up our cross and follow. But as Christians, we don't follow an external Jesus who leads us. We're accompanied by a Jesus who's in us. And that's a different perspective. And it's reassuring for us. It's not take up your cross and, and go and kill yourself and go and find life. No, no, it's take up your cross and I am with you and I'll kill all the stuff in you and I'll also put my life into you along the way. That's what Jesus does. If you read the, the, gospel, um, the gospel is about the crucifixion, doesn't it say that Jesus carried the cross and who else carried the cross? Simon of Serene. What do you see? You see a man who's come along and helped Jesus carry in the cross, right? And that's right and that's true. But do you also see a picture of how Jesus helps you carry yours? Because Jesus doesn't leave you to yourself. He doesn't leave you on your own. He is always with you. We've heard it this morning. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. His burden is easy and his yoke is life. And he knows how to kill us. Sometimes death is painful, but sometimes death is painless. Do you know that? I told you about my dating experience. It was more painful than it needed to be. I kept coming around that mountain, and God was like, are you ready to let this go? No. Nope. Okay, we'll come back to this later. But all the time I wouldn't let it go, it owned me the whole time. Is there anything you find painful to let go of? See, Jesus is saying to you, you need to let go, not so that um, you don't have anything, but so you're free of everything. And sometimes death is painless. Man, 
Brentford got promoted to the championship last year. I never went to a single game. But I tried to go to the last game of the season. I asked my friend who worked there for tickets. He got me two tickets. And I drove to Brentford, really excited about going to the game. As I opened my door, I heard a loud cheer. I arrived at full time. The game had already finished. Because I didn't know it was an early kickoff. Five years ago, that would have killed me. But I didn't care. And I, I didn't do anything to that. I didn't have to put anything to death. No, that was painless death. See, sometimes death is painful. Sometimes we have to say yes. And sometimes Jesus just takes things out of us. When we give it up and posture ourselves, he changes things in us. And it's only on this journey with him we truly discover life. We truly find life. As we lay everything down, life is discovered. See, this passage, if you read it, it's, it's right between two stories. And, and it's not an accident that it is. It's sandwiched between Caesarea Philippi, where um, Peter got the revelation of who Christ is. When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And he says, you are the son of the living God. The other story on the other side is the Mount of Transfiguration, where they climb up a mountain and they get a revelation of his glory. Listen to this. The first one, the first story, they get a revelation of his purpose. In the other story, a revelation of his glory. The first, a message that he came to give life. The other, an experience of life itself. How many Christians stop between their salvation and their surrender? Because when we do, we miss out on this life that God has for us. You see it with Israel, right? They came out of Egypt, but they didn't enter into life. You see it with Lot's wife. She, she came out of Sodom but held on. She wanted to go back. She didn't give every, anything up. She clung to it so she didn't move into the sanctuary. The guy that was, had the uh, hand to the plow and Jesus said, don't look back. And he looked back because he was holding on to things in this world. And it was that that stopped them moving on to life. It's losing that leads you into life. And that's what you get when you lay it down. When we lose, we win and let me tell you, because it's kind of been maybe negative, when you win, you win big. You don't win small with God ever. You win big. What do you win? And we're coming into close here. Dave quoted the Apostle Paul last week from Philippians 3, and he says, All of this stuff that I have in this world, I count, was it garbage? I checked out the word. Do you know what the word is? It starts with shh and ends with it. Because Paul didn't mince his words. And he would have just said, look, this is that. So that I can have him. See, what you win, if you lay down stuff, is Jesus. And Jesus is life itself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. When you give everything up, what you gain is him. Do you know what Bill Johnson says? He says, what we give up is embarrassing when we compare it to what we gain. Because what we gain is him. We discover him. We find him. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. It's seeing his glory, experiencing his presence, being in, being in awe of his life because of that is who he is. And, and he says that we find life, which means it's an ongoing discovery. Do you know that it doesn't stop because Jesus is eternal? There is never an end to how much life you can experience in Christ. I went to my mum's place and, and just looking through some old stuff and, and I found a Walkman. Anyone remember those? Yeah. Bethany said to me, what's that? I'm thinking, come on, it ain't that ancient. But it, it really is, I suppose. And so I was really excited that I found this Walkman. 
And as I carried on looking, do you know what I found? I found the tape cassette to the soundtrack of Top Gun. Oh my gosh, this was like heaven. This was a discovery beyond anything else. And I just put it in and I sat there. And you know, you, you haven't got a rewind button on a cassette re recorder, so you've got to forward it to the end to turn it over and listen to it again. And I was there for hours listening to this stuff. But listen, discovery after discovery. But you know, Jesus is eternal. He's life everlasting. You will never stop discovering his glory, his beauty, his majesty. And you know, in finding him, you find yourself. In finding Jesus, you find yourself. Remember, we looked at the meaning of the word life, and it means identity and affections. You don't find who you are in the things of this world. You will only know who you are in him. How many people are saying, I just want to know who I am? How many Christians are saying, I just want to know my identity? I just want to know my purpose? I just want to know my worth? And we can set out venturing, searching after these things. A pursuit of identity, a pursuit of purpose. The way in which you find your identity is by losing your life. That's the paradox. I mean, when I got saved, I worked at, the, at Allport, which is an air freight company. And everybody there knew me pre-Jesus, so like, AKA scumbag. They knew what I was like. And what they said to me was, one girl said to me, I miss the real Lee. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? This is what she was saying. I miss the real Lee. I miss the one who wanted the world. I miss the one who clung to it. I miss the one who was anxious for it. I miss the one who chased it, who did the same thing as everyone else. But do you know what I said? And it was divine inspiration by the Holy Spirit. I said, this is the real me. See, when we lay it down, we discover who we are. When we lay down everything, Jesus reveals uh, himself to him. And revealing himself to him, we know who we are ourselves. And we've got to do that daily, right? We've got to do it daily so we know who we are, so we can find life. His desires will become your desires. His dreams will become our dreams. His will will become our will. Instead of living for our kingdom, we will live for his. It's living water that changes us, that moulds us, that flows into us powerfully. His presence, so beautiful. His life, that's what you gain when you lay it down. That's what you get. God laughs at our plans, do you know that? And he's not vindictive. He's not mean. If we cling to the things of this world, he said, is that it? See, because when we step into this world, when we live for him, when we find life, there are dreams and there are plans that ripple through eternity. He says, come with me, give up yourself for me, and you will find life. You will truly live. If you want to find life, lose it for me. Let me finish with this. And one more thing, and that's just this. Your motivation to lay it all down. See, we lose our lives so that we can have life. But our motivation is that he laid down his life for us. There is only one thing that can motivate you in giving up everything. And there's only one thing that can sustain you in giving up everything. And that is the gospel. That is the truth that Jesus has died for your sins completely completely forgiven you. That's the only thing that liberates you to give everything up. See, anything else is fear or guilt, and it won't work out. You can only be motivated by the gospel. Let me close with this story. There was a man in Assam, northeast India, who, along with his family, was converted to Christianity in the middle of the 19th century through the efforts of a Welsh missionary. Called to renounce his faith by the village chief, the convert declared... I have decided to follow Jesus. In response to threats to his family, he continued, Though no one joins me, 
still I will follow. His wife was killed and he was executed while singing the cross before me, the world behind me. This man literally gave up his life. He was motivated by the gospel to lay it all down. His sins were completely forgiven. He was completely free and he chose to lose his life for Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. I'm not clinging to anything and the reason I'm not going to do it is because Jesus has given everything for me. So if you want to win your life, then you've got to lose. But if you lose your life for him, you win and you win big. God bless you guys.